You're listening to Culture Matters, a podcast of the Village Church. Hey, this is Adam Griffin, and I am delighted to be rejoined today by my co-host, Adam Hawkins. Adam, how you doing, buddy? Doing great today, man. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. I'm so glad to be back in the studio with you. And special treat for the listeners, we're actually joined by two guys that are normally uh, behind the buttons, switches, and scripts, but not in the room with us. So I'm so glad to be joined today by Chris Starrett. Chris, who's normally running the knobs and sw- I don't even know what that means. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's, that's pretty a accurate, pretty right? accurate description. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm so glad he you're here with us today. That's it. Flips things on and off, turns them up and down. Thank you, Chris. And our producer, David Rourke, is in the studio with us today, too. David, how you doing, buddy? Doing well. Good, David. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks for all that helpful energy. Uh, so glad to be with you guys today. We're going to do something a little bit different than normal. So instead of a one-topic episode, we're going to kind of catch up a little bit on several things going on in current events and talk about uh, culturally and theologically how what can a church address and should a church address things that are going on around us. We'll talk about some things internationally. Let's talk about some things here in our country, and then even some things closer to home in our own denomination. So we'll talk about uh, various topics. I think we're going to try to hit four of them today. I'm excited about this. Uh, I think this is an important uh, episode, honestly, to think about how can we, as a church or as a Christian, address a topic that often at a church we will have to answer a question sometimes on the spot. Like, Adam, I bet there's been times where someone's come up to you at a church event or after worship and just said, hey, how do I respond or think about something that's going on the news and just throw out a current event. That's happened to you, I assume? Yeah, that happens all the time, actually. More than than you'd think. That's what I assume, yeah. So let's start with, uh, I mean, we'll we'll have four of them, but if we could start just, there's just been a Supreme Court decision, a Supreme Court decision that affects gambling state to state. Uh, Adam, could you summarize real quick, what is the decision that was made? There was a 1992 law that basically prohibited most states from being able to... um, allow gambling on sporting events. And that was just overturned. So now states will, if they so choose, be able to, uh, uh, they'll allow gambling basically on sporting events. And so um, most states are excited about that because they'll be able to reap the tax benefits of it, right? They'll be able to tax basically the bets and get money from it. Um, And then a lot of the professional sporting organizations though, like the NFL, the NBA, um, and others were not so excited about uh, this decision. I think mainly, I, I, I don't know, I'm not 100% sure, but I think mainly because um, they won't be able to reap the, the benefits, the monetary but that's benefits. that's your assumption. That's of- my assumption. Okay. Yeah. So I guess I don't understand. How does, uh, what is, how does DraftKings work now that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. What's the difference? Yeah. If you can currently do that, but now it's legal in the States, like what has changed? Do we know? I don't know enough about well, betting in sports, to be honest with you. I think you. DraftKings is a little bit more of a contest where you're trying to enter something than it is where uh, sports gambling is more like, I'm going to bet on who's going to win or lose this game. By this spread or yeah. whatever, yeah. It's I've like heard a, the it's word like a spread mix between like fantasy to... sports uh-huh. and, and gambling, I think. But in some ways you could argue it's, it's gambling, but they've created this other oh, yeah. version of it so that it's legal and it kind of, you know gets by or whatever. So. Absolutely. I think gambling is a fascinating topic, especially for Christians, because there are so many versions of it. And some people have draw the line in different places. Some people consider entering the lottery to be a terrible mortal sin. And some people are like, no, it's just, you know, it's just for fun, just throwing a couple bucks to see if you win a lot. And 
Others draw the line elsewhere. Maybe some people don't even uh, allow card playing. You know, no playing cards because it it yeah. looks like gambling. But what do you think, Adam? If somebody comes up to you at the end of the church service this weekend and says to you, "How do I, as a Christian, respond to if Texas legalizes sports betting?" Does that mean it is okay now for me, as a believer in Jesus Christ, to put some money down on the Cowboys losing every game this season? I might, I might ask you this question yeah. this weekend, by the way. So taking this specific question, okay, this specific question, because there can be many of these and people can ask many different questions. I think um, um, just like this is one of those questions where what I would want to do first is sort of really engage in a conversation around the person's heart bigger conversation, which I know this could sound evasive, but really what's going on? What are you struggling with? Why are you wanting to gamble? What's that have to do? How stewardship look like? Where are you financially? Like, is this, is this an escape or a coping mechanism for you? One, right. Or are you putting your hopes in it? Are you putting your hopes in it? Are are, do you, are you struggling financially and you're saying, oh man, I really want to put this money down because I think, you know, or, or is this, or are you simply coming to me saying like, this seems like it's fun. What are the dangers? What aren't the dangers? You know, there's a lot of different ways to ask this question. But on the at the very end of the day, is it sinful to put money on a um, on a sporting event? Uh, I think I think you have to take all those considerations into account. But I, you know, I, I think there's a lot of Christian freedom out there, and we can get into this really legalistic mode of trying to pin down and make the Bible say things that it doesn't specifically say. Mm-hmm. Uh, this comes up all the time when people, I mean, maybe we're opening a Pandora's box, but this this is a question like I remember growing up in the church and it was like nobody ever drank anything, not, didn't touch wine, didn't touch alcohol at all. Um, and they tried to make the Bible say more about alcohol than it actually said. I'm sure some listeners would be upset with me about saying that, but gambling is one of those areas where I think what we need to be after Rather than the behavior itself, what we need to be after is the heart behind it. That's what I would do. So I would probe questions. To, I would I would ask probing questions to, to, to find out where where the person's heart is. And it, it seems like being sinful people, like we are, that as you sort of work through those questions, yeah. more often than not, when I don't know that I've been in this conversation with anyone about gambling, but just any issue, whether it be alcohol or some sort of what people call gray areas, right? You know, where there is Christian freedom. But when you have those conversations, it feels like most of the time you end up finding out that it's about not even about gambling or exactly. it's not even about something, you know, exactly. this other thing. But it, yeah. it is about a heart issue. And, and that oftentimes does lead to the answer, no, this probably isn't good for you right that's now right. For, this, for this reason. And that's because of sin in our own hearts. That's though, right. right. Yeah. That's right. Well, not only that, but isn't it a wisdom issue to some degree too? Gambling by yeah, it doesn't always nature. have to be a sin. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, there's a lot of things like that. Like, I mean, there there are um, there are nothing. I don't know that I believe anything's morally neutral, but there are some things that I think, like you know, maybe watching, like for instance, something like watching sports, right? Uh, for some people, they watch sports and it's no big deal. It's something they do on the weekend, whatever. It could even be positive. They bond with friends over it. It's a place for community. Maybe they're using it to outreach, talk to their friends or whatever. But for some people, they get so into it that it affects their mood. They're mad at their family if their team loses and all these kind of things. And so in those, like you can draw that that analogy out more and more, but you might talk to that person at the end and say, man, this is not profitable for you. This is right. not wise to enter into a space where it's going to, change your whole day and all these kind of things based on something as silly as a game. And so, yeah, it may not be like, you know, the, the 
that act of watching a game or maybe gambling may not in itself be sin, but as David was saying, maybe it's actually exposes sin underneath, you know, uh, or maybe it just exposes something that's really unwise, you know, it's just an yeah. unwise Well, that's decision. what I can't, I can't imagine very many situations in which I would advise someone to gamble yeah. to say, Hey, yes. you know what, you know, what's a good idea to do with your money is this. Yeah, yep. Here's a, even if you think it's a sure bet, there's a reason it's called a gamble. So if the Lord has given you something financially and you have a choice, uh, what to do with it. And there are so many hard issues, absolutely, that we should unpack if somebody asks us about gambling. At the same time, it's also, why would you? Is it some thrill that you're seeking there, and why are you seeking that thrill there? If it's a a risk you're taking, what are we coaching, pastoring, counseling people to do to steward their finances? It's funny to, you know, like, you don't want to answer these questions based on personal experiences alone. But since you're such a big winner, this is probably really difficult yes, for exactly, you. Yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> um, but I, it's funny because I have sort of what I feel like is a, a more redeeming, positive approach to gambling growing up. This, Like in high school, Texas Hold'em was really, really popular. And what ended up happening was that we would have a lot of our friends on weekends. Like I had a brother who was uh, three years older than me. Um, and we would have a lot of our friends over. We had a room connected to our garage, and we had a poker table in there. We'd have you know a $5 or $10 buy-in. My parents know that this is happening. Yeah. All of our friends come over. We'll spend four or five hours in our garage playing poker together, and like there wasn't drugs or alcohol involved. And But a lot of the kids who would, would come over are, were the kind of kids who would go out and get into trouble or do something else. So it ended up being like this really cool thing where it was this kind of escape from maybe bad home lives for these kids or getting into trouble elsewhere, but they would come and we would just hang out and, you know, develop friendships and just be together. Not that that's how most gambling probably works itself out, you know, but it is, it gives you an idea of like, oh, the thing in and of itself doesn't necessarily have to be bad. Well, think about, uh, I mean, this is a controversial statement, but we are on Culture Matters. But think about... Let's um, cut loose. Well, no, seriously, the more that I've gotten to know about the stock market and day trading, there are so many people, it's a for so many people, it's a legalized form of gambling. I I have friends who trade on the commodities market and they would try to short the market all the time and they literally watch the screen all day. And it almost became like addictive. Impulsive. Yeah, it almost became addictive and compulsive. And if you think about a lot of a lot of investment of investing in general, uh, especially if that is all you do, can really be it's, it really has an element of gambling in it, right? Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of people who gamble and they don't know anything about it, but a lot of committed gamblers on these sports gamblers, they're doing it and with a lot of knowledge. They spend a lot of time thinking about it. They think it's a sure bet, whatever. And those conversations, you could you could literally probably take out the sports teams and change some of the language around. And it sounds a whole lot like other people I know who have talked about day trading, investing, things like That's that. Interesting. So I, I think there's a, so why do I throw that, why do I throw that curveball in there? It's just to say there are these things that we'll think about in our mind that are legal, like day trading or whatever, but or they can- life insurance. Or, <laughs> or life insurance. But, but honestly, <laughs> where you, um, where you are making a bet. You are yeah. making a bet. You're 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 thinking something's going to go. You're 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 investing your money based on a future outcome that you're unsure of. And I think the same. I mean, those things can it all all of a sudden in some circumstances it, they can be interchangeable to making a sports bet. I'm so. curious of what Chris thinks about this because he may have worked for a company that 
That what? Know, I don't that know was this. involved with you know finances. Day, like I don't know about day trading, but the stocks were related sure, to yeah. some of the work you were doing. No, I, I agree with Adam. I mean, I think it it all depends on on how you're viewing it. You know, so it's uh, you can very much be trading penny stocks and things like that, and you're just trying to turn a quick buck. You know, and it's the same thing as gambling. I think I don't know it, it like. Like Adam said, there's a lot that comes down to just your heart and stewardship. It's, uh, I think growing up, I had a pretty conservative view of gambling, and I probably still do to some degree, but uh, a, a game night of poker with $5 buy-in where you're in community with your friends, you know, things like that, it, it's like, okay, I could spend 5 bucks and go see a movie. Yeah. Actually, probably more like 10 or 15 bucks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or I could play poker with my friends at my house for an evening and and it's a good time you know and yeah I, I don't know it gets weird with sports betting i think a little bit because it's like i mean maybe you can have your friends over to watch the game i don't i don't know yeah, um not as relational <laughs> right yeah yeah and then uh, the lottery is i feel like a totally different I ball game because I it's too. like you're just yeah. buying this ticket i, well, I think what you're bringing up there with sports betting and the lottery point to two things that we haven't talked about yet and then we can wrap up this topic but the people who who provide opportunities for sports betting and for the lottery, these are not necessarily, um, uh, they are not there for the benefit of the gambler. These can be very predatory organizations that want to make money off those who want to risk money. And so it's not like it's an altruistic program that the government has just uh, happened to not want around for a long time and now is going to allow around sports. But there are people who predatorily seek the money of those who are willing to risk it, knowing that most likely they will get to keep the money from those who are going to risk it. Right. Yeah, that, which raises the question, and I don't know that we'll be able to answer this, and I know that we need to probably move on to the next thing, but it, like as Christians, there's the personal standpoint, which we've talked about, but then we're supposed to think about you know the bigger scope of things. It, you could say that's politics, however you want to put that. But, I think I think conceptions of justice. I think it could even yeah, be that abstract. Yeah, what, is, is, this, is this good for yes. human flourishing in yep. general? Is right. this for the common good, gambling, being legalized in a state that's a, i know that's a big question but i'm curious i feel like christians need to be thinking about that right that's yeah. a different that's a bigger and different question i yeah. think rather than like my own behaviors or something and i think it gets a lot more muddy there especially if you want to start looking at things like the lottery there are articles and i know adam probably knows about this but there are articles and articles that you can look up talking about uh, the lottery is sort of a form of oppression almost. Uh, there are communities taking who's advantage taking of the advantage poor. of yeah. the poor uh, mm-hmm. and how it's 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 one of the, I, I actually re- don't play the lottery for that very reason. I, I won't because I know what it I know how it affects poor communities. so I, I choose not to participate in anything yeah. I see as evil. So it's not every day that something about the Southern Baptist Convention is in the news, but the last couple of weeks they were. And that's because of these comments that Paige made uh, several years ago where a woman had asked him about abuse and what he believed about abuse. And his policy has been that divorce is always, always wrong and that there is no uh, reason for divorce and that the Lord would never allow this. I'm summarizing some of the, the sentiment, but his direct quotes were that she was being abused. She wanted to know if she could leave. He encouraged her to stay and just pray for her husband. She came to him later 
with two black eyes saying, are you happy? And he reportedly said that he was happy because her husband was back in church. And so that he was kind of, this was, this was his hope all along was to get that husband back. And at the same time, it obviously displayed a lack of sensitivity and a lack of wisdom when it comes to the abuse the woman endured or advice to a woman who is in a dangerous situation that we obviously, we wouldn't land there. I think I can, we can look around the room and say, that's, that's not where we land. And so it is hard for me to look in the news and see a story like that and go, man, that is just, that is just, is representing the gospel and Christianity in this denomination in a way that it really made me um, cringe. I don't know. What, mm. what did happen for you guys when you first saw that come out, when you saw those quotes, when you saw these things in the news, what did you think? And then let's talk about what advice and what wisdom we have to offer around that topic. One of the things that's difficult as I read them, man, I just, I always want to try to be careful with the media and what they say and how they, how they paint and portray things. That's good. Um, especially uh, because, you know, I, look, I, I've never been in a situation where I've been on like the receiving end of sort of a media deal. I don't but know. But the propensity but, to twist something. Or to make it fit. I mean, I've had friends who were journalists and it's uh, investigative journalists, and it's not that they were doing anything wrong, but they were validating almost their own hypothesis within the story. I'm not saying that that's what happened. Here's how I approached it. I think what he, I was really sad. I was really, really sad. And I was really, um, I was really um, concerned, you know, uh, that this could be going on in many churches. And what yeah. made me sad was um, what could, for that, for the individuals who have been on sort of the receiving end of that and the intentions behind it, uh, honestly, it, it, this is trying to think the best of somebody, is that they hold a very high view of marriage, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing to hold a high view of marriage. Yeah. Right. And that's when, when it gets hard as you start, of, but what you forget in that is, yes, hold a high view of marriage, but hold a high view of the dignity of human beings, the imago Dei, that God loves his children and wants them to flourish and be protected and all these kind of things. And I think, I, I actually think holding a high view of marriage would say not just marriage, but a high view of biblical marriage. And that is not what's happening when a woman is being, or a man are being um, abused. abused. Yeah. And so uh, just just the the lack of consideration, it's a shallow it, to say I have a high view of marriage and it would keep a woman in in, in an abusive marriage um, without putting up any protections or any kind of, you know, uh, is actually a shallow view of marriage. That's right. what I would it, argue. It sort so. of runs contrary to the very concept of discipleship, especially if you think about we had Andy Crouch on the last episode and we talked about discipleship is um, when you're saved, it's a restoring of your humanity. Yeah. And as you grow as a disciple, you're becoming more human again. And so if we think about marriage as both displaying the love of Christ and it being a means of sanctification, again, growing to become more human, and then you think about abuse, abuse is the antithesis of that. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's going back to a... Um, it's objectification. Objectification, it's de yeah. um, belittling, dehumanizing. It, it's the very opposite of what God would have for us as humans. So those things just can't, they can't be, yeah, they're, they're totally different things yep. and they can't be held together. At that point, you don't really have marriage anymore because that's not what marriage, how we just defined it. Or I know that was a very short definition, but that's not what, you know, the point of it is, right? Right. So if somebody does come to you this weekend and a woman says, hey, I'm being physically abused in my marriage, what advice, wisdom, or next steps do you take? 
we we need to be very clear, and, and and there are a lot of people who like really don't know, but this is something that does come up in churches, and so yeah. to be as clear as possible is just to say, man, that first thing you need to know is there's a crime that has been committed. Um, and so uh, what can be so difficult in all this is to try to, you don't want to put burdens on the victim of abuse that they're not ready for. That's but right. so often what needs to happen is they need to know they're not alone. Yeah. That's really important. And so they don't have to face these things alone. But you you very well may need to get the authorities involved, right? If somebody is saying, I, I am, I've been physically abused or something like that's been going on, then then the authorities, there's a crime. The authorities need to be involved. You need to make sure that those you can connect those people to professional resources of help. And then your job as a minister of the gospel is to, to, to really, I think maybe most importantly, is to be a ministry of presence for them, to, yeah. to, to make sure they're not alone and you can help walk with them. Well, and there's so many, I know we're in Dallas, and so we're spoiled to a degree, and not everyone has these resources, but there are places for women who are being abused and battered to find help, both in counseling and in places to stay. We have on many occasions provided hotels for women if they needed a safe place to be away to make sure that they knew that we were not going to send them home unless we knew that home was going to be a safe place. That's a huge point. So the the, the other piece would be separate. There's a separating that needs to happen. You cannot, you need to find a place where you can be safe and sane, I yeah. think would be the, the language we would yeah, use. Yeah, and I think there are people whose first intention is to go and confront the abuser, and that yes. is not always the right first next step, especially with that victim that is not That's right. the right next step. Chris? Yeah, and I, as somebody who's not a pastor at all, uh, just uh, when I, I don't know a lot about, I haven't heard the sound clips or anything, but <clears throat> just conversations with my own brother who uh, I don't think is a believer and just conversations around Christianity and conversations around what does it mean to be a decent person, you know? And I think his critique and, and a common critique of most Christians is that it's we hide behind this religious or idealistic view of things that too quickly moves past the the real suffering of people or or even worse um, piles guilt and shame on somebody who's already suffering and I think it's just important to, to keep in mind that um, that we see people as people and and we don't too quickly jump to this minister of reconciliation role of like trying to fix this situation for this person or trying to fix this person, you know, and I, and that's something that, that has been convicting for me is like with my brother, it's like, I just need to say the right things or or whatever. And it's like, that's not my role. My role is to see him as a human and to love him and to be there for him and, and, and allow the spirit to do that work. You know, we've talked about, we've talked about that, right? Like uh, as a church and trying to grow in the way that we counsel people or, you know, we recommend them going to see counseling, right? Is that we don't want to jump too quickly to process before the person, right? We've talked a lot about that. Yeah, absolutely. That you don't want to bypass the person for uh, going directly to the solution or going directly to... Uh, victim blaming language, which can be so easily slipped into if you are not understanding the situation of like, what did you do? And what did you say can come across to a victim of abuse as this is your fault if you had not done this. And so being trained, being ready to address those things, but also understanding what is your role as a minister with the perpetrator and with the law. And we, Adam and I have talked about this before that make clear what is the role of the pastor and the church worker and what is the role of the police officer and the lawyer and not crossing those boundaries saying my job is to love this person. And while some people will 
will point to the proverb to say, yeah, the, the first person that tells you seems right, but you need the other half of the story. I do believe you want to hear the other half of the story in most cases, but you do not want to say to the victim as your first response, well, let's hear what they had to say about what happened. Again, that just discounts the person who has been through something traumatic. And what you're saying is, I don't believe you versus saying, yeah. let me hear from you. Let me love you. Let me find you a safe place to go. And then later, let's talk about yeah. everything else. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that, and this is sort of beside the point, or not beside the point, but it's not the most important thing, but the thing that happens here too, and what we're seeing with this situation at large is this again, just hurts the witness of the church. It, yeah. it, it, it's, it's putting on full display our inconsistencies, which we are inconsistent people. We are hypocritical people. We're not perfect. That's the whole message of the gospel. But on this, you know, on the other hand, if we're going to say we care about human life and all of human life, something mm. like this has to matter to us, you know, and absolutely. And, and th- that's where people quickly point <laughs> out, like Chris's brother, as he mentioned, they're like, well, you're so passionate about unborn babies, yet you you're OK with this happening. And that just doesn't yeah, make right. sense biblically. Right. Right. Uh, to switch gears to the next story, it is sad how much violence is a part of our culture. Violence in the marriage is what we've been talking about. But one of the things, uh, one of the big stories this week is a video that went viral, a uh, music video by uh, Childish Gambino, also known as Donald Glover mm-hmm. Jr., I think. And he uh, he wrote this song. And what the real story, I think, is really the video more than it is the song. Adam, can for those who haven't seen it, or Chris, you've seen it. I have seen or it. Or David, yeah. you've seen it. Yeah. I, Everybody's I, seen it. I think it. we've all seen it. Yeah, I think this, this most of America. America has seen it. Yeah. <laughs> a hundred and something million last time I yeah. looked had Which, seen it. I mean, crazy. Yeah. yeah. Chris, tell us about it. If somebody hasn't seen it, what is what goes on in that video? Oof. Uh, man, I don't know exactly what goes on in that video. <laughs> um, a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. It's, it's very... Um, it's an interesting video because it seems like there's so many conflicting elements happening at the same time. There's kind of childish Gambino... Uh, perpetrating violence at some points um, and then violence happening behind him while he's doing dance moves, you know, that like cultural things that define uh, people, you know. And so I don't know. It's it's a really complex video. And like you said, I don't, there's not a whole lot, it seems like, that's happening lyrically. Like there is some, but it seems like the point of the video is more the video and less the, the music. And I mm-hmm. I've, that's a critique I've seen as well as like, the song is just okay. The video is amazing, you know, and so I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe another quick summary, and this starts to get into the commentary, I guess, on it, yeah. is if you just take the title of the the song or the video, which is This Is America, it's an idea of uh, on over here you have this um, view of black culture, all the things that people tend to get behind and they like all the beautiful great things the music the the dancing the like the those positive things that come to mind yet over here you have not only a history of you know racial injustice but you have current systemic racism and all the things that are happening to to black lives in our country right now and it's some sort of weird juxtaposition yeah juxtaposition is a great word yeah between between those two things yeah it flips between them so quickly in the music video between crazy violence and then smiley face dance moves you know choir singing to choir slaughtered uh guy on a guitar playing softly to execution it's just juxtaposed is right i think the um you know with so much art i think you can read into it and do it can be very subjective how the uh the the viewer sort of takes it in i'll i'll say what i what 
what I found so brilliant about it was the idea of were a couple of things, um, probably many things, but one was the idea of sort of, so the, the dance moves are sort of viral dance moves they're doing. Right. Right. Yep. Um, right. you know, uh, 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 the sort of smiling black person, right. It's a, it's a throwback to like the minstrel shows of before. And so it's some, almost like you have all these cultural memes. So mm-hmm. you have in some sense, like, well, as David sort of alluding to what David was saying, you have this, um, this like this is, this is what America accepts uh, or wants from Black people to be entertained, right? Like to be to dance and sing for me and create our cultural memes and to be our athletes and to be these kind of things. But the reality of what's happening in the background in America, I think in general, of violence and um, um, sort of the systemic racial issues and these big things happening, we we don't want to look at. So we yeah. can say stay detra- uh, distracted really easily. I was reading a couple of reviews about. I thought one of the things that was interesting is um, how uh, the the violence is being perpetrated with guns, and then they treat the guns better than they treat the the bodies, right? Yeah. So like the gun is placed on a pillow and sort of taken away. And I just think it's an interesting moment. There's a moment where all the kids are sort of videotaping everything on their phones, thinking about how we see everything through a screen. Everything's filtered and mediated through screens today. So nothing's ever really real. Yeah. Everything's sort of hyper real. It's like a um yeah, I only I only ingest the world through my screen and through memes, cultural memes. I don't like the dance moves and the and all these kind of things. Uh, but I I can never really see with immediacy what's going on. Everything's filtered through the screen to me. And I just thought, man, some of these themes that are happening that are so deep, um, um, man, are just being confronted in ways that. Uh, I don't know the the things he's trying to communicate. He's confronting in ways that are really unique and jarring. And yeah. I think whether you hate the video or you hate the message, what you have to say is it's jarring, and 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 the attempt is to confront something very very real. Particularly um, the end. Yeah. The ending is super. I, I mean, you get to the end and you're like, whoa. Yeah. It's, it's when he's running in fear from yeah, the crowd. It's intense. Yeah. 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 I do think it's a good example of something, and we're. We're the four of us in the room. We do not uh, encompass all the views of the world in no. this room. It's a good example of something that I'm sure if I talk to somebody in different socioeconomic background, ethnic background, international background, people would come away with different views of what he's trying to say. Mm-hmm. Certainly there's people, if you talk to people in another country and you ask them about the violence in America, or if you see violence in another country, they will say things like, this is the kind of thing that happens in America, mm-hmm. not here. And there's a there's a view of America that I think he has uh, to those people where it's like, yeah, of course, it's a violent place that creates entertainment. And then if you talk about the racial division that he discusses in his music video, obviously I'm going to have a different understanding, even if I want to have a broad understanding. I can only look at it through the way I see it. And so I know the things that he says in there about police work, the things that he says about violence, the things that are portrayed there, where it's the the black church choir or the black kids dance group, or whether it's just him running in fear or jumping off of cars that are broken down. There's there's images there that conjure up media images for me that for another person, you know, this is my life for me. This is the the crowd, the fear that I walk in every day where I'm going, oh, that's an interesting take on something. They might see that last scene of him running and somebody's going, that's the way I feel in America yeah. every day. And mm. Yeah, and I think one of the, the brilliant and beautiful things about the music video is it uh, just it's just compelling the way that he is able to use art in that video, and it's just really well done. 
to cause you to think about things. And I, I mean, me personally watching the video, it made me think about um, maybe the black experience uh, for a lot of people uh, in a way that I hadn't before because it's it's presented in this visual medium, you know, and it was just really, I it was really moving for me the first time I saw it. Yeah, same here. It made me think about, did, I don't know if any of you listened to Trip Lee's talk at MLK 50, but mm-hmm. he talked a lot about how... Um, you know, he, he may have even used the term white evangelicals, but kind of speaking to someone like me, I think um, how we're quick to, to think we're, you know, quote unquote woke because we like rap music or because we like this. Maybe we liked the movie Get Out. You know, like there are things like that. Where we're like, oh, well, you see, I, I you know, I, I yeah. get it. I get it. But then this video was really helpful for me because then it's like, but do I really get it or do I just kind of want to take the things that I personally like in terms of my own preferences and just honestly kind of appropriate those things for my, for my own good and my own preferences versus, you know, really think about am I, am I invested in this issue? Is this something that truly matters to me or is it very surfacy? And I just, I kind of, I kind of like the trendy thing about, you know, just being, um, you know, it, maybe putting my toe into black culture a little bit, you know, dipping my toe into to black culture, but right. not really being invested in that. Like I thought a lot about that. It even made me think a lot about my childhood growing up around native Americans. You know, my, my high school was like 65% native American. I remember looking on them and thinking, man, I wish I was native American. I wish that I had this cool culture to go back to this language, these songs. But then I'm like, and then I think they would be quick to say, I don't know that that's true. I don't think you want to be Native American mm. because being Native American is not what you just see all these good things, these surface level things. But it's actually really hard to be a Native American if you think about our whole history and past. So yeah. it, it seems like the video is getting into some of that as well. The, the ultimate irony, I don't know if you guys have seen, but they're already making the the videos already be they're already meme memifying the video. Like all these people are like changing the the music in the background and so he's like dancing to like some goofy song or something like that. Right. And it's like it's already like it's this beautiful art piece. And I think he now probably knew it was already. gonna come, but it's like Again, it's through a screen and so it gets into the hands of the culture and they go, Oh, I don't want to listen to the message, I just wanna make it funny. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's That's just like, yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Why do you why do you guys think that this like I imagine a, an everyday listener hearing this conversation kind of thinking like, OK, what what does any of this have to do with Christianity or the gospel? It just sounds like you guys are having fun talking about this cool music video, which that's probably part of it because it. It, it is a, a very unique and beautiful and moving music video, but I do yeah. think that there's more there to it. That's important well, for I us, think, right? I think one of the social commentaries that he's trying to make in that video, as he's saying, obviously, that this is what our country is like. That's what their frame is. This is America. And us being Americans, we are Christians, first and foremost, but all of us in this room are Americans, understanding that this, are, this is our propensity to turn the channel from one thing to another, both literally and uh, to go from the news to something entertaining, to go from violence to go to dancing. But also for us generally to say, well, this is an uncomfortable thing. I do not like. Let me switch away from this to something that will help me cope. And so I will switch to something dancing or to have my expectations uh, to put on another community to say, just show me the the shiny part of what's going on and hide what's ugly behind the scenes. And I, I do think there's a, uh, a Christian understanding of duplicity that needs to be redeemed in the way we understand identity. So duplicity being if you are one person around one group of people and then a totally 
different person around somebody else, but also culturally, that we will be very aware and sensitive to something in one circumstance and then immediately turn to something else in order to uh, almost like comic relief to be able to deal with, to be able to handle. And that's individual as well as institutional for us. And I do think the Christian who has a sense of identity that says, no matter what happens to me circumstantially, I'm rooted in Christ, which means nothing around me should change me. Now, I will emotionally change, but who I am does not change based on where I am. Hmm. Yeah. Um, wow, thanks, guys. No, I totally agree. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking back. I concur. I, I concur. <laughs> I just think back to the to the question that David's asking is like, why should Christians care about this? And it sort of always goes back to the to the idea for me that, um, that um, you know, we, we can't separate our lives. There is no such thing as like, I'm going to wear my American hat now, and now I'm going to wear my Christian hat, and right. now I'm going to wear my job hat, and now I'm, you know, that it just doesn't happen. And so it's, I think the question of, the questions were really, the reason we're talking about culture and things that influence culture, uh, and, and the, the, the culture that sort of, the cultural milieu is that, uh, <laughs> We are Christians. I'll edit that out. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) We are Christians that find ourselves inhabiting this world. Like, as a Christian with a Christian worldview, how are we supposed to think about the things that are that are our everyday experience, right? Yeah. That are influencing, you know, the world we live in. How, how do we how do we encounter these things and how do we do it in a way that's uniquely Christian? And I think the other thing to say is like, you know, some of the topics we're talking about, racism and, and weird technology stuff and all the stuff that, Adam, you just brought up. It's like, I believe personally that there, that Christianity is the only answer to all of these ills. Right. Um, now that's a very broad statement and you can start to nuance all of it, but just to say that, um, you know, uh, uh, our hope is not simply that like one issue is going to be solved. Our hope is that, uh, in Jesus and um, that one day uh, when he returns that all all of these all of the the social ills all of sin will finally be put to death all evil will be put outside sort of the city walls so to speak so um, yeah I, I, that's that's sort of how I would answer that question that's excellent I I do think there's a there's a bit of a theology of pop culture that we could go into as well as we're talking about culture matters. And we do on occasion. Yeah. We talk, we've had an episode on hip hop. The, the best way to get it is just to listen to the show because that's what's happening. You know, like yeah. my question's almost redundant because I feel like in talking about yeah. it, we're hopefully helping people understand why these things should matter for yeah. Christians. I just I only asked it because you know every once in a while it might be good to ch- kind of remind people of that. Yeah. But and you know what we've done yeah. episodes on specific things like if you went around the news right now and said hey there's a huge crack in the island of Hawaii, and what are we going to do about this natural disaster? We've had a whole episode on natural disasters and the uh, war that seems to be starting back up between Iran and Israel in ways that are very disturbing and worrisome. We've talked some about uh, war, and we've talked about violence. We've talked about guns. We've had whole episodes on things like that in the past, and and all these topics you could talk about in a secular sense. But for us, like Adam just said, we don't separate out and say, let me put on my secular humanist hat for a minute and talk about um, Childish Gambino's video. No, what I'm saying is through a Christian worldview, because I'm a Christian the whole time I'm talking about it. And, and, and you know, the people listening to this, they're they're seeing these, this video, they're reading things about this video, yeah. and those are commentaries. Those those other articles and, and whatnot are, are telling them how to think about this thing, so why not have the opportunity here to try to 
you know, put gospel lenses on, on all these things that our people are definitely, you know, already in the midst of, right? Today's episode was produced by David Roark and edited and mixed by Chris Starrett, who we were also delighted to have on the program with us. Our next episode is going to finally be on Juneteenth and systemic racism. We are really looking forward to that. So please tune in next time. See you next time. God bless and thanks for listening.